0: scripture tonight we pray that you would focus our hearts and our minds on your word this evening holy spirit i ask that you will use me as a vessel to communicate your truth help us to understand that you are a god of justice and mercy in the midst of this difficult passage that we could be grateful for the good things you have done we praise you and love you in jesus name amen well hello there is anyone else confused to see me here it's okay. I'm I'm confused too. Uh, however, I do have the great honor of guiding us through Numbers 31 tonight, so that's exciting. So, uh, does anyone need a Bible? If so, raise your hand. And I'm sure Bill or Cody or Tim would be happy to get you a Bible. But this is the Wednesday night crowd, so I'm pretty sure everybody has their Bibles. But go, you guys. So, there's a lot of craziness in the Book of Numbers, and I thought this book was a snoozer when I was a kid. Like you know, take a census of all the congregation of the sons of... Israel. 37, 38, 39. Numbers. See, I'm paying attention. I'm awake. <laughs> but when you actually follow the story in Numbers, it's pretty spicy. It's a pretty spicy Bible here. Pretty exciting stuff. I just want to give you a quick recap of the story of Numbers for those of you who haven't been here for the entire study. So just a little side note, throughout in like chapters 5 through 10, 15, the beginning of 27, 28 through 30, there are interjections in the story of Numbers that are focused on laws about ritual purity, festivals, vows and oaths, warfare, and other topics pertaining to how the Israelites are commanded to live, excuse me, in accordance with God. So here's a quick recap of the story. In chapters 1 through 4, hey, uh, Chris... Someone grab me a water. <coughs> wow. This came out of nowhere. All right, Satan, let's see what you're trying to do here. Get on out of here. Thank you. Goodness gravy. R.K. out of nowhere. Sheesh. All right. So chapters 1 through 4, Israel is numbered and arranged. And this is the group that came out of Egypt. We lovingly call them the old generation. In chapters 1 through 12, the people complain against God, and Aaron and Miriam oppose Moses. Chapters 13 and 14, the spies explore the promised land. Ten come back with bad reports, and the people rebel. But Joshua and Caleb give good reports, and God promises judgment on the old generation. In chapters 16 and 17, we have the rebellion of Korah. In chapter 20, again, the people complain against God, and Moses and Aaron are fed up and snap, and God disqualifies them from the promised land for not trusting him. In chapter 21, the people complain against the bronze serpent thingy happens again. So, that's well, not again. happens for the first time. The people complain again. So, chapters 22 through 25, Balaam and the king of Moab, the whole situation where Balaam was given the oracles happens, um, and this is when the Israelites sleep around with the Midianite women and are doing the idol worship of Baal of Peor, not good things, and that's kind of what 31 is going to be referencing back to tonight. 25 and 26, we have this division between the old generation and the new generation. A couple of differing opinions about that, but because Moses is still alive during this time. But there's just this kind of dividing point. And in chapters 26 and 27, we have the numbering of the new generation, and Joshua is commissioned as a successor to Moses. He hasn't taken over at this point but he has been commissioned to do so. So, the big picture of chapter 31. Why does God have this in the Bible? God delivers justice, but we have Jesus to intercede on our behalf. Obey, be grateful, and remember God's goodness. That's the big takeaway for tonight. So, let's open the Word of God, and let's get into a section I endearingly call Genocide and Booty. It's not what you think, <laughs> like pirate booty. Get your mind out of the gutter. She whiz. Okay, let's read. So, chapter thirty-one, verse one. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Take full vengeance for the sons of Israel on the Midianites. Afterward, you will be gathered to your people." So, this line, "You'll be gathered to your people," is referring back to chapter twenty, when Moses and Aaron they're about to bring the uh, the water out of the rock. And they get really upset with people. It's like, what are we supposed to bring the water out ourselves? And Moses smacks the rock twice. And they didn't trust God in that moment. So they have been disqualified from entering the promised land. Verse 3. Moses spoke to the people saying, Arm men from among you for the war, that they may go against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance on Midian. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to the war. So there were furnished from the thousands of Israel, a thousand from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. Moses sent them, a thousand from each tribe, to the war, and Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to the war with them, and the holy vessels and the trumpets for the alarm in his hand. Now remember, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, he's from chapter 25, he's the resident shish kebab expert, you know, sinners. Yeah. So this time he only has the holy vessels and the trumpets for the alarm in his hand, but I still wouldn't mess with the guy, okay? Verse 7. So they made war against Midian, just as the Lord had commanded Moses, and they killed every male. They killed the kings of Midian along with the rest of their slain: Evi, and Recham, and Zur, and Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. They also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. Now, Balaam, the son of Beor, remember from chapters 22 and 24, he's a pagan prophet that Balak, the king of Moab, hires to curse Israel. But he can't do it. He can only pronounce, you know, a blessing on them. So, but Balaam here is a sneaky little guy. He still wanted his money out of this whole deal. So he tells Balak, the king of Moab, he's like, hey, you know, you may not be able to get God to curse them, but I could certainly tell you how to mess them up and get God's wrath on them. So sneaky, sneaky, sneaky Balaam. So they killed him. He got what was coming to him. Chapter. Uh, Verse 9, the sons of Israel captured the women of Midian and their little ones, and all their cattle, and all their flocks, and all their goods they plundered. Then they burned all their cities where they lived, and all their camps with fire. They took all the spoil and all the prey, both of man and of beast. So, one thing that tends to come up when we talk through passages like this in the Old Testament is like, Isn't God a loving God? Like, Why would God kill people? Why would he command for these guys to go kill all these people? But before I answer that question, I wanna give you a little story. So, when I was a teenager, we moved my bedroom from the upstairs to the downstairs, and that was the coolest thing. They offered it to my older sister first. She was like, no, it's okay. So I was like, that's mine. So I reclaimed the basement as my own, but there was one big disadvantage of having the basement um, is because when I was acting out or I was, you know, disobeying my parents, I would be walking up the stairs, and my mom would go to the front of the stairs, and she would catch me because I was tall even when I was a kid. And so she would catch me, and that's when she would take the time to reprimand me. You know, as you can see from the Star Wars diagram, it's like, it's over, Doug. I have the high ground. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so that's when she would catch me because I was still taller than her then and she'd be like, ah, I gotcha. And that's when she would take the time to reprimand me or, you know, she would give me some sort of punishment for something that I did wrong. And so, you know, just like I was disobeying her, there was a punishment for that, right? Whether that was, you know, couldn't watch Star Wars for a week or, you know, I couldn't go hang out with my friends or I had extra dishes or something like that. There was consequences for my actions, right? Right? So, I want to refer back to verse 3, where it's talking about go against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance on Midian. So, this is referring back to Numbers 25, when the Israelites joined themselves to Baal of Peor by idol worship and sexual <sighs> deeds with the Midnight women. So, A big concept that we hear all throughout the Bible is there's all sorts of different types of sin, right? But a New Testament connection here is that for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, during this time period, this is obviously way before Jesus. And so we, on this side of history, we are able to have Jesus as the person who is taking the wrath for our sin. But in Numbers... In that time period, Jesus hadn't come yet. So the wages of sin is death. That's not a lot of fun, but it's how it is. So there was judgment not only on the Midianites in this chapter, right? 31, they go in and God says, Take full vengeance on Midian, right? For the sins. But remember back to chapter 25, the Israelites had also experienced judgment because 24,000 of them died from the plague. Do you remember that? Yeah, ring the bell a little bit. So Israel had already received their judgment, and now Midianites are going to be receiving their judgment. So Israel, the rest of the Israelites, that obviously didn't die off—you know, the twelve thousand for war. There's a thousand from each tribe, the twelve thousand. They are being used as an instrument for God's judgment. They're doing all the killing and being blameless. You know, and these are always hard passages to go over, but. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers." He doesn't say, blessed are the warmongers. You know, but we live in a fallen world. And sometimes there's situations in which force must be used in order to remedy a situation. So this isn't quite a perfect parallel, but just imagine, you know, you're at your favorite restaurant. Uh, Someone give me a restaurant that you like. Bejo's. Bejo's, all right, Bejo's. Bijos. I've got to give them a plug. If you haven't been to Bijos, downtown, delicious food. Amazing sushi. But imagine we're there in Bijos, okay? I'm about to sit down, have me a nice sushi, okay? And there's a guy by the front entrance, and there's a little girl. And the guy just decides to, to push over the little girl and just start kicking her. That's not very nice, is it? Now, it'd be great if I could just go over and say, sir, would you please stop kicking that little girl? You're going to hurt, well, you've already hurt her. You're going to continue to hurt her. And he would be like, well, what got into me? Of course, yeah. Well, I'll just stop. Thank you. Well, that's not usually how a situation like that would would play out. But imagine then he pulls out something to harm that little girl, or even kill that little girl, right? How would you be loving that little girl in that moment? You know, if necessary, you might have to use force. You know, so sometimes there are necessary evils to face with force in order to enforce peace. Now, this is a little bit different because God is specifically saying that, hey go and, you know, take care of these Midianites. But this is not a political battle. This is a spiritual battle. God is eradicating sin. And the Israelites are the instrument of judgment for that to happen. So when we look in Deuteronomy 9, 4 through 5, it kind of gives us a little bit more explanation. Deuteronomy 9, 4 through 5. Do not say in your heart, when the Lord your God has driven them out before you, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. It is not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess their land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. So we're not quite in the promised land yet. The point at which they're out there in the uh, the Transjordan area, which is the plains of Moab, which is the east of the Jordan. So they're not quite into the designated promised land area yet. But the idea there is that it's the wickedness of the people and God is justly kicking them out. God is just in his actions in having them go and take care of the Midians. Hanging with me? Alright, three people are hanging with me. Awesome. So, but God gave the Amorites at least 400 years to turn to him. And the Amorites, that word is kind of like a blanket term, um, you know, just like you would say Americans, you know, but there's different subsects of people that are in America, Midian Amorites. If we go back to Genesis 15:13 through 16, we see that God has this promise to Abram. He's not Abraham at this point. verse 16 specifically says, then in the fourth generation they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So a little bit before then, he gives a little bit of uh, foresight into what's going to be happening with the descendants of Abram. But that point there is that then the fourth generation they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So, wasn't time yet? Because if not, then maybe he would have just moved him into the promise then land right then. But now it's time. So they are without excuse. These Midianites, these people who are receiving this wrath are without excuse. They could have repented and turned to the Lord. And they knew that God existed because that's why they were, that's why they were scared in the first place. Because they heard about the Israelites and all the things that the Lord were doing and that it was coming this way. And that's why they hired Balaam to put those curses on Israel because they were afraid of them. So they could have repented. They could have turned to the Lord and said, okay, well, this is the boss, so I need to turn to him. But they didn't do that. In fact, there are numerous times throughout Scripture that God's mercy is displayed when he's about to pour out his wrath. For instance, the Ninevites, the city of Nineveh. In the book of Jonah, you remember, he goes there to preach repentance, and then they repent, And in fact, Jonah even isn't very happy about it. He's like, what? What? Seriously? (laughs) I wanted them to die. Now it would be better for me to die. And the Lord's like, really? Do you really have anything to be angry about? They repented. So God withheld his wrath. And then also we see another example, Rahab the harlot. So in Joshua 2, 9 through 13, which is further down in the storyline, talks about the idea of when she's hiding the spies, she lets them know and says, hey, like, we know about the Lord. We know about the good things that he's been doing, and we don't want to die. Like, we know that he's coming in to take control, and we don't want to be a part of that. So if I help you guys out, will you please protect me and my family? And they're like, got you. So the Lord would spare them if they repented, but they didn't. And that's always a hard thing to come to grasp with. So even in Hebrews 11:31, the situation with Rahab, she is Her actions of faith and believing in God is written down as a triumph of faith. And even in Jesus' genealogy, he mentions Rahab, who God knows when we repent. God knows. But one way that we can apply this to ourselves, I think of Romans 8 13. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Once again, that idea, sin equals death, God equals life. So, in the great words of Michael Jordan, oh, my God. Stop, it. Get some help. stop it. Get some help. Come on, y'all. Like, repent. Jesus' sacrifice and the work of the Holy Spirit is the only way we can get that help. It's the only way. I really love this saying by John Owen, be killing sin or it will be killing you. But the only way that we can actually do that is by the work of the Holy Spirit. But we have to open up ourselves to that in the first place, amen? So, let's keep going. I'll explain that in a bit. Verse 12. Verse 12. They brought the captives and the prey and the spoil to Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the congregation of the sons of Israel, to the camp at the plains of Moab, which are by the Jordan opposite Jericho. Moses and Eleazar the priest and all the leaders of the congregation went out to meet them outside the camp. Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the captains of thousands and the captains of hundreds who had come from service in the war. And Moses said to them, have you spared all the women? Behold, these caused the sons of Israel through the council of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. So the plague was among the congregation of the Lord. Now, therefore, kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known man intimately. But all the girls who have not known man, for, known man intimately, spare for yourselves. So, in this particular case, God says, full vengeance on the Midianites, and this refers back to verse 2. And so, by them bringing the women and the children, they're actually disobeying God. After all, why not? Why shouldn't we keep the women for ourselves? Do you get it, it's Lord of the Rings? Okay. Um, <laughs> so, Moses is, is not too happy about this, he's angry. And Moses is angered because it gave further opportunity for the sin of chapter 25 to happen with the women. He's like, guys, what what is you doing, baby? Don't do that. Why are you bringing these guys here? Don't you know that's that's how we got in this whole mess in the first place? And do you think that, you know, if you bring them in and you start intermarrying, you know, and the culture back then, sometimes there'll be, you know, a second or a third wife or something like that, and they'll bring their idols and stuff like that, and you think that's going to go well again, no, you're going to get right back to where you started. It's only a matter of time. So, as uh, this great meme once said, when will you learn that your actions have consequences? Come on, guys. So Moses is just like not having it, right? So, but then it goes on, and Moses says, okay, the women that slept with these men that were a part of this idol worship and these these sexual misdeeds, gotta go, okay? Then it says, now therefore kill every male among the little ones. So this was probably to avoid a resurgence. And in other places in scripture, there's mention of killing all the men and women. So tactically, it makes sense like warfare-wise. Like if you're gonna go to a place, wage war, you only kill the men, but you leave the heirs, you know, you leave the children and stuff. They're not very happy about people coming in and killing their family, so they might rise up one day and, and, you know, take revenge in that situation. That would not be ideal when you're in in a war situation. And in Deuteronomy 20, there are laws about warfare that take place in the promised land and outside the promised land and how men should be dealt with in terms, and how people should be dealt with in terms of killing everyone versus, like, killing only the men. But, once again, this is a special case in which the Lord commands them to kill everyone. It's a spiritual battle, not a political one. And then he also goes on to mention the sparing of the virgin girls. But all the girls who have not known man intimately, spare for yourselves. So, Moses commands to keep the virgin girls who are not involved with the worship of Baal-peor, but it is unclear whether that was against God's command to take full vengeance against the Midianites. God allows it for some reason, and maybe it's because the women didn't have like, spiritual authority or, or experience in the practice of the worship of Baal. Maybe once you know, they're able to grieve their family and stuff like that, they can be melded in to the camps of Israel and learn the things of the Lord. So that just makes me think, this whole idea of them disobeying, disobeying the Lord, like how often do we obey God half-heartedly or only partially or with mixed motivations. So, another story time. When we were quarantined, uh, my wife and I, she was busy doing some school stuff, and I decided I'm going to try to bake some gluten-free cookies, because I've got gluten intolerance, and that's not fun. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to make myself some nice chocolate chip cookies. This is going to be awesome. But I didn't have any of the ingredients, or like most of the ingredients, That were on the instructions. And so I'm like, you know what? I really want something sweet. I'm going to try it anyway. So it's like, okay, I don't have uh, butter and eggs. I'm going to put in some, like, I don't know, like sour cream or something. I don't know. know? And so, like, half the ingredient list is not what the original ingredient list is. And I'm like, okay, this is going to go great. So, not only that, but you know I didn't even have a chocolate chip, so I just started to just put some cocoa in there and, and whatever I had. and I, I think I put some hot chocolate mix in there as well. It was just like whatever I had because I really wanted to eat something that had chocolate in it. And uh, so I don't even make cookie shape. I, I just take, I pour the whole thing into this like tray and it's like blobbing out everywhere. and I'm like, okay, uh, I'm going to put this in the oven for an undisclosed amount of time just keep my eye on. It. I don't know. And when the, the cake is getting, well, it's a cake at this point, it's not cookies anymore. It's not even like a cookie bar cake thing, it's just a cake. And so I'm looking at this thing in the oven, I'm like, this thing's about to explode or something, like this is not going to look good. But afterwards I go ahead and take it out and I put it on the counter and it's just this monstrosity, it looks horrible. Luckily I was able to take the knife and trim off the edges a little bit and you know, make it look decent, and, but it, it didn't taste that great, it just tasted like salt. <laughs> I, I put too much salt in there, because once again, I wasn't following the ingredients list. And so um, luckily, I was able to make some chocolate sauce and just absolutely douse it. Gave it to my wife, and she thought it was pretty decent, but I think I just fooled her into thinking the chocolate sauce was the entire flavor of the, of the, of the cake. But it was, pretty, it was pretty much a train wreck, right? But think about when God tells us to obey something, He's got plenty of rules and guidelines for us in the Bible, right? When we don't obey those, when we don't follow the instructions, it usually turns out to be a mess, right? And then you're having to overcompensate for the things that you could have just gotten right in the first place. My dad would always say, you know, do it once, do it right. So how often do we obey the Lord like that? How often do we have mixed motives? I know I do a lot, so just call myself out here. So let's keep reading. Verse 19. And you camp outside the camp seven days. Whoever has killed any person, and whoever has touched any slain, purify yourselves, you and your captives, on the third day and on the seventh day. You shall purify for yourselves every garment and every article of leather, and all the work of goat's hair, and all the articles of wood. Then Eleazar the priest, said to the men of war who had gone to battle, This is the statute of the law which, mo- which the Lord has commanded Moses. Only the gold and the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead. Everything that can stand the fire you shall pass through the fire, and it shall be clean. But it shall be purified with water for impurity. But whatever cannot stand the fire, you shall pass through the water." And you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day and be clean, and afterward you may enter the camp. So this is referring back to the purification laws in number 19, Numbers 19, because we all remember that. And, and for the guys who had to stay outside the camp, the one who participated in the war and stuff like that, they had to be outside the camp. This wasn't a punishment. You know, Moses wasn't being like, you disobeyed, go aside. You know, That wasn't the case. It was just, there's laws for coming across dead people. And so this is just a reminder of that. And then there's also this idea of fire and water. So everything that can stand the fire, you shall pass through the fire and it shall be clean, but it should be purified with the water for impurity. But whatever cannot stand the fire, you shall pass through the water. So this is also referring back to Numbers 19. And what they would do is all the metals or the things that were not combustible, they would put into the fire and that would purify it and then the water. But for things that were combustible, they would just put it in this water. So, and this makes sense. You know, there's corpse contamination. You know, they're killing all these people then bringing all this stuff in. So it makes sense that they would wash these things off. And there's even an idea um, that Sean talks about in his sermon when he did Numbers 21. I referenced that just to get some, some inspiration, so I won't just steal it with, from him without giving credit. But, but the idea that in our lives we can either be purified with fire and water or just water, right? The water of the word washes us. Or situations, trial by fire, which one would you rather, which one would you rather go through? You know, like we talked about before, are you going to obey the Lord or do you wanna go through the fire? And I, in, in my life personally, I went through a lot of the fire. I was raised in a Christian household. But I made decisions. I made bad decisions. And a lot of the situations and how I grew is I had to just go through the fire, and that was not fun. So recommendation, go for the water. 10 out of 10 would recommend. So, verse 25. Okay, before we get into this, um, I really was going back and forth about which version of the Bible I want to preach this out of. Whether well, I was doing like ESV or NASB 1995, which we use here. And um, you know, I decided I wanted to go for the Bible that's here that everybody's used to in, in preaching. So, we're just going to get into it. Swiggity swooty. I'm coming for that booty. The division of the booty. So, I just want to give you a quick overview of what this next section is. Because I know when it comes to numbers, like in counting and genealogies and, and math and stuff like that, like my brain well, it gets confused. So, the more simple it is the better. So this is for me as much as it is hopefully for you. Oh, did it not even go yet? It's okay, we'll play it again. It's nice to look at. Next slide. Hank, can you go to that? Oh, there we go. There it is. All right, so this is a a very nice chart that Tom found for me, Pastor Tom. Everybody say thank you, Pastor Tom. You're welcome. So basically the way that they divided the booty or the portion or the spoil is they had two main allotments, okay? So you had the soldier's portion, and you had the people's portion. So for the soldier's portion, it was one half of the total of the things that they went and got. And then in the people's portion, oh wait, no, soldier's portion, one half of the total minus one 500th, which is the Lord's portion. And the Lord's portion went to Eleazar the priest. Now, the people's portion, which is the other half of the portion, is one half of the total minus one-fiftieth, which is the Lord's portion. So, and the Lord's portion went to the Levites. So, I'm going to go ahead and read that. Just keep that in mind, two main chunks, Lord's portion out of that, and that's where you're getting those numbers from. So, verse 25. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, you and Eleazar are the priests. And the heads of the fathers' households of the congregation take account of the booty that was captured, both of man and of animal, and divide the booty between the warriors who went out to battle and all the congregation. Levy a tax for the Lord from the men of war who went out to battle, one in five hundred of the persons, and of the cattle, and of the donkeys, and of the sheep. Take it from their half and give it to Eleazar the priest as an offering to the Lord, From the sons of Israel's half, you shall take one drawn out of every 50 of the persons, of the cattle, of the donkeys, and of the sheep, from all the animals, and give them to the Levites who keep charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. Moses and Eleazar the priest did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now the booty that remained from the spoil which the men of war had plundered was 675,000 sheep and 72,000 cattle and 61,000 donkeys. And of human beings, of the women who had not known man intimately, all the persons were thirty-two thousand. The half, the portion of those who went out to war, was as follows. The number of sheep was three hundred thirty-seven thousand five hundred, and the Lord's levy of the sheep was six hundred seventy-five, and the cattle were thirty-six thousand, from which the Lord's levy was seventy-two, and the donkeys were thirty thousand five hundred, from which the Lord's levy was sixty-one. And the human beings were 16,000, from whom the Lord's levy was 32 persons. Moses gave the levy, which was the Lord's offering to Eleazar the priest, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. As for the sons of Israel's half, which Moses separated from the men who had gone to war. Now the congregation's half was 337,500 sheep, and 36,000 cattle, and 30,500 donkeys, And the human beings were 16,000. And from the sons of Israel's half, Moses took one drawn out of every 50, both of man and of animals, and gave them to the Levites, who kept charge of the tabernacle of the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So, one really cool thing that, that stood out to me about this was the idea that the Lord had a portion out of the spoil. And when I was reading that, I just thought about how grateful I am to be working here full-time staff at the church. So a lot of people actually don't know this when I first talked to them, but I am full-time on staff here. I was taking care of all the worship and the tech and stuff, but then we brought Logan in, but I've been on staff here for almost three years, and I'm just really grateful that I can work here full-time doing ministry and have my needs taken care of that the Lord is able to provide for me through ministry work. And so that is obviously through what you guys tithe and and other contributions and stuff. And so this is not so much of of like a, you better tithe, this is just a thank you. (laughs) Thank you for allowing me to be here and to be able to study the word of God for like the last two days living in my office. It was fun. So, verse 48. Then the officers who were over the thousands of the army the captains of thousands and the captains of hundreds approached Moses. And they said to Moses, Your servants have taken a census of the men of war who are in our charge, and no man of us is missing. So we have brought as an offering to the Lord what each man found, articles of gold, armlets and bracelets, signet rings, earrings and necklaces, to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. Moses and Eleazar the priests, took the gold from them, all kinds of raw articles. All the gold of the offering which they offered up to the Lord from the captains of thousands and the captains of hundreds was sixteen thousand seven hundred fifty shekels. The men of war had taken booty, every man for himself. So Moses and Eleazar the priest took the gold from the captains of thousands and of hundreds and brought it to the tent of meeting as memorial for the sons of Israel before the Lord. So Verse 50 in the the idea that they're paying money for atonement is referring back to Exodus 30, 12 through 16, which talks about the census tax or the atonement money. And basically what would happen is anytime Israel was numbered, they would have this census and then there would be a tax. And the most recent census of the new generation was chapter 26. So basically what would happen is anyone who was 20 years and older would donate or give a half shekel of silver And this was originally used to make the sockets for the post that helped to form the tabernacle frame. But in this instance, the captains of the thousands of the hundreds of the millions, they recognized that their soldiers, all 12,000 of the soldiers that went to war against the Midianites, they were spared. And so this is an offering of excess. So, I want to just break down how crazy it is that 12,000 soldiers went to battle and they didn't die. So, have you guys ever heard of the game called Red Rover? Raise your hand if you've played Red Rover before. You and me, we're on a team, okay? So, basically, the idea—if you don't know what Red Rover is—is is you've got one team on one side, they all link arms. You got another team on another side, and they all link arms. And they say, "Red Rover, Red Rover, send." Grace, right over. And then Grace would just run full speed at a link of people's arms. And she would try to break through the arms. And man, every time I've seen a game of Red Rover, it gets messy. Like, it gets, like, downright, like, vicious. And there's always, always, always someone who gets hurt. Raise your hand if you've been hurt in a Red Rover game. Yeah, at least two. That's awesome. But there's always someone that gets hurt in that game. So, like, The idea that the Israelites, 12,000 of them went to war, and none of them died, like it doesn't say anything about whether they got hurt or not. I'm sure some of them got hurt a little bit, but like, that's crazy. That's just about as crazy as a vicious game of Red Rover where no one gets even like a scratch. So this is highly unusual, right? The idea that the, the soldiers are spared, that's highly unusual. So this offering from them is an offering of thanksgiving. They realize that their lives have been graciously spared. And so in the atonement after, during the census tax, it's normally silver. But in this case, they give gold. And it says here, so Moses and Eleazar the priest took the gold from the captains of thousands and of hundreds and brought it to the tent of meeting as a memorial for the sons of Israel before the Lord. So this is extra. They take it as a memorial to the sons of the Israel before the Lord. So it makes me think, I have to ask myself, how often do I show gratitude towards the good things that God is doing in my life? That's a good question to ask ourselves, because like me, I could, I could talk your ear off about Star Wars, man. I love me some Star Wars, and I get excited about it. I'm like, oh my gosh, the new Obi-Wan show is coming off, but like how often am I excited about the things of the Lord and the good things that he's done in my life? Like I said, I I didn't really come here to roast myself tonight, but here we are. It's fun. But I think it's a good thing for us to remember that even just the idea of salvation, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, like the idea that God poured his entire wrath out on his son Jesus and not on us. Jesus came and he walked a perfect sinless life. He did the walk of shame He hung, he bled, he died on Calvary so that I wouldn't have to, chief of sinners right here. So how often are we remembering to be grateful for those things? So really, if you walk away learning anything tonight or something, I hope that you will walk away knowing that God loves you so much he poured his full wrath out on his son Jesus that you may be able to walk in right standing with him. No longer do we have to die for our sin. And that gives us great incentive to obey him fully and to be grateful for the good things that he has done for us. We've got good incentive for that. So Jesus, obedience, and thankfulness. Now you probably weren't expecting that at the beginning of the sermon when we were about to talk about genocide and booty, but here we are. So if you haven't trusted Jesus for salvation yet, but that sounds like a good deal, I'm going to be up here. Feel free to come talk to me. Or if you need prayer for anything else, i will be happy to pray with you. But Dave isn't here for a uh, a closing song, and uh, I'm kind of tired after all this, so I don't really feel like it. Um... (laughs) So if you have any uh, questions or complaints about tonight's sermon, please email tom at calvarychapelcheyenne.org. That's T-O-M at calvarychapelcheyenne.org. And he'd be more than happy to help you out with anything you need. So let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we are grateful for the lessons that we can learn here in Numbers 31. Lord, that even though that we are deserving of the wrath, Lord. That the Midianites in this situation, they were deserving of the wrath and the judgment. The Israelites who participated in the idol worship, they were deserving of the wrath, Lord. I, in my sin, I am deserving of your wrath, Lord. But we live on this side of history, and because of that, we have Jesus. Jesus who took my place, who took our place, Lord. So grateful for that. We ask and we pray that as those truths settle into our heart, that we would respond with gratitude and obedience that our gratitude and our obedience would be an overflow of the things that you're already doing inside of our hearts, Lord. So we praise you and we love you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray this in. Amen. So.